0: Christmas is known as the season of giving. People, whether they believe us or not, they will tell you, "Yeah, Christmas is the season of giving. The problem is not many people know why it is the season of giving. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ know that the reason it is called the season of giving because God gave His all. And that's what we celebrate. He gave His only begotten Son of a virgin... He gave all that He could give. He gave His all. But the irony is this. On Jesus' birthday, we give gifts to each other. And we give gifts to a lot of people except the one whose birthday we celebrate. The sad irony is that this whole concept of giving is lost on most people. And to compound this irony with... The fact that around the world, at this time of the year, expectations run high. I even might venture to say expectations run wild. And then unmet expectations is even worse. And when those unmet expectations begin to take hold, it causes depression and loneliness and pain... And so the very season of joy turns to some people to be a season of pain. I remember a story about three sons who were very, very successful materially, in every way, became very wealthy, and decided that they're going to do something special for their mother. In fact, they're going to outdo each other, giving something to their mother. So the first son said to the other two, he said, I built a big house for our mother. Huge house. And the second son said, Well, I sent mother a Mercedes Benz, top of the line, with a chauffeur. And the third one said, I got you all beat. I got you all beat. You remember how mother used to enjoy reading her Bible? And how she now cannot read the Bible because of her eyesight, and and she longs for the day she can read the Bible again. He said, I've done something that is so incredible for mother. I sent her a parrot. A what? A parrot. A parrot, yes. It took 12 years to train this parrot to memorize the entire Bible. And it took many people training the parrot over and over until he now memorized the Bible. So all that mother can do, mention a chapter and verse, and the parrot will recite that whole verse. In fact, it cost me a small fortune. And so after Christmas, the dear mother sat down and began to send thank you letters to her three boys. She said to the first one, Milton. Milton. Thank you for that big house. I only live in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. (laughs) To the second son, Gerald, thank you for that Mercedes car. I don't go out very much. And furthermore, the driver is rude. And then to her third son, dearest Donald, you know exactly what your mother likes. That chicken was delicious. <laughs> we'll talk about disappointment. <laughs> well, let me today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, transform you from the humdrum of Christmas commercialism and commotion, to the very heart of God's purpose for Christmas. So I'm going to do this by expounding probably the best-known text in the whole of the Bible. But because of the familiarity of the text, unfortunately, people miss the point and don't really focus on it. You've heard familiarity breeds contempt, to which Mark Twain added, it breeds contempt and children. But this familiar text, I can tell you with a surety, could never be fathomed in ten lifetimes. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you new eyes, set of eyes, to see this text afresh. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... So that whoever, the old King James said, Whomsoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In just few words, John summarized for us all the message of the New Testament. That God is an all giving God, that God is an all-loving God, that God is an all-welcoming God. And those are the three things I want to look at today, that God is an all-giving God. God gives out of love, and because He gives out of His love, therefore He does not give partially. God did not give a token of Himself. God did not give a percentage of Himself. God did not give the crumbs off His table as a falling off His table. God did not give a gift that nobody else wanted. God did not re-gift those gifts of which He had two of. God did not give what was bought at a discount. You see, when God manifested Himself to humanity, He gave His all. When God manifested His love to humanity... He gave until there was nothing more to give. And this is very different from the way you and I give. When you and I give, we give some here, we give some there. We don't give all because we know that we have to budget, and we have to plan, but not with God. Because in God's giving, He gives all. He gives everything. I want you to hear me right on this one. When Jesus Christ came... Into this world, there was nothing in heaven left for Him to give to humanity. That's it. For God so loved the world that He gave. How do we respond to His giving? The way we respond to His giving is by taking that love for granted. Many of us, the way we respond to His giving is that we take and we think, that's due to us. I worked for it. We give gifts to each other. Instead of giving To the one who gave his all. Have you ever been to a birthday party where you saw the guy, the person whose birthday is being celebrated, standing there in a corner by himself, watching as all the guests giving each other expensive gifts? Don't get me wrong. I'm not against giving gifts. I'm not Scrooge and I'm not Grouch and all of that. I'm happy for you to give gifts. But listen, (laughs) remember whose birthday you're celebrating and then remember whose gift you're supposed to give to. God's giving was His all. It's an all-out giving. Secondly, God's loving is an all-out loving. And I could not help but think about this. I want you to imagine two scenarios. Scenario number one. A man and a woman have been dating for many years. And then after all these years, the man kind of... Moves like molasses move uphill. Have you ever seen that? You see molasses moving uphill, and he looks at the girl and says, <laughs> "I guess we better think about marriage, don't you?" Now I'm not a woman, but I can tell you, for a woman, that would not pull my joy bells. <laughs> I mean, this is like having a real cold shower. Let me give you a second scenario. The second scenario is this. After dating for a while, the guy is deeply in love with his woman, and he would go out and spends a fortune, maybe all of his savings, on a ring. And he brings that ring in a box, flowers in hand, on one knee. And he says to her, baby, I love you with all of my heart. Oh, baby, I tell you, you are the first thought that hits me when I wake up in the morning and you are the last thought that comes to mind when I go to sleep I love you with every ounce of my being you are everything to me baby I'll die for you baby if they string me by my ears they can't keep me away from you now do you want me to go on or did you get the point (laughs) did you get the point Okay, I'm going to stop. Now, ladies, I want you to be honest with me. Which scenario one or two would you take? God bless you. But I want to tell you something. Exciting and wonderful and exhilarating as scenario number two may be. It is one, is but one of a billionth. I just make up a word. One of a billionth of a fraction of God's love for His children. God so loved, oh, not with just a ring and beautiful flowers. No, 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 no. It's more than that. He loved that he gave himself. And listen, he did not give himself to somebody who's beautiful. He did not give himself to somebody who's attractive. No, 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 no. He gave himself to somebody who's ugly with sin. People who are ugly with arrogance and self-sufficiency. People who were ugly with hatred. People who were ugly with ingratitude. People who were ugly with despising Him and and snubbing Him. People who were ugly with ignoring of His love. People who were ugly of worshiping His gifts, but not the giver of the gifts. Beloved, I want to tell you, that people, you and me, before Christ. That people is you if you have not received Christ into your life. Sin made us ugly, but God loved us anyway. The Bible said that while we were yet perfect? No. While we were yet righteous? No. While we were yet sinners Christ Jesus died for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There was nothing lovable in us, but He loved us anyway. There was nothing endearing about us, but He loved us anyway. There was nothing attractive about us, but He loved us anyway. I want you to hear me right. This is really important. There is no computation in the whole universe with all of our mathematical geniuses. There is no computation that can compute or measure this kind of love that God has for His children. And that is why one of the smallest words in the English language was used to express this unfathomable love. So. Can you say so? So. Bless you. I want to tell you something. That little word, that little word, is that you can't explain it, you cannot describe it, you cannot even fathom it. Even though we can comprehend a little bit of it as we walk with the Lord and see and experience His love day by day, we still cannot even fathom a little bit of it. God could have looked down from heaven and said, I love you people. He could have done that, but he didn't. You see, God's love compelled him to do the impossible. God's love compelled him to do the incomprehensible. God's love compelled him to do the unthinkable. God so loved. Beloved, listen carefully. Love can only be measured by the degree of sacrifice. Love can only be measured by the degree of self-denial into which love is expressed. Anybody can say, I love you. Anybody can say that. But how do you measure it? The degree of sacrifice. The degree of self-denial. God so loved the world. When God wanted... To reach our limited, finite mind. To help us compute, just understand, comprehend a little bit of this concept of what it means for the God of glory. Who said, let there be light and there was light. To lay that glory aside and come down to earth. He chose something that is so near and dear to the Hebrew culture in which he was born. Something that we may not even comprehend as much. And that is the relationship between father and son. In the Hebrew culture, the father and son relationship is inseparable. And when God revealed himself, he revealed himself as son. And every Hebrew who was hearing those words understood what that meant. Now, there were some rejected it, but at least they understood it. There are some people who give their lives for a noble cause, but none of us. None of us would be willing to sacrifice our son or daughter for a criminal. But that's what God did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His all-out giving, all-out loving, and all-out welcoming. For God so loved the world that whoever, that whoever believes in Him, should not perish, that is talking about eternal perishment, eternal torment in hell and Haiti, shall not perish, but have everlasting life with Jesus in heaven. Please, please, please don't miss this. The Bible did not say, for God so loved the world that everybody will go to heaven. That's not what it says here, is it? Is that what it says in your Bible? It did not say so that everyone will have everlasting life. No. That is falsehood that has been permeating through the media. It's through the mainline churches and some even evangelical churches. That everybody's going to make it at the end. Beloved, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And there are going to be people sitting there in torment, in the darkness, in that bottomless place, cursing those who told them this falsehood. This falsehood is sweeping the world. And it says that everybody will go to heaven. Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims. Everybody's going to make it. In the movies, on television. Everywhere. And that could not be further from the truth. Only those who believe in him. Who was born of a virgin. Died on a cross. And rose again. Shall have everlasting life. And someone here may say, well... How do I do this? How do I do this? And I'm glad you asked. I want to tell you. By acknowledging that Jesus alone can take you to heaven. By acknowledging that Jesus alone can give you eternal life in heaven. Nobody else. Love brought Jesus Christ down from heaven. And your submission to that love will take you up to heaven with him. Here's the central truth of the Christian faith. God welcomes everyone who comes to Him. He welcomes them with open arms. He's welcoming you today. He's welcoming everyone. No matter how great or small your sin and rebellion may be. Because in God's eye, a white lie is as bad as murder. There's no big sin and small sin with God. God Will welcome you. But only through his son Jesus. God forgives everyone who asks. Regardless of your guilt. But only when you ask. In Jesus name. God longs for all. To come to him. That is his desire. It is his longing. No matter how low. You might have sunk in your own eyes. But only. Those. Who long for him. God welcomes and will give everlasting life to everyone who soever asks. Are you among this whomsoever? If you're not, you can't be today. You really can. How do you believe in him? Do you believe just that he existed? Do you believe that he's just the Son of God? No. Satan believes and trembles. But by recognizing that the sin by which you're born and the sin that you have practiced will keep you away from heaven unless and until you come to Him and allow Him to forgive you that sin. Only Jesus who paid the punishment for our sins that belongs rightly to me and rightly to you can pronounce you not guilty. Only Jesus can carry us across that chasm that sin has created between us and God. And when you do that, then you live the rest of your life just giving thanks for what God has done. In fact, that's what the good news of Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. It's not about parties or gifts and shopping. The fact that God came from heaven to pay the price or the wages or the punishment that each one of us should have paid for ourselves. And when you come to Him, you become among the whomsoever, the whomsoever, and will receive eternal life. Not maybe, not possibly, not can. You will. I want to tell you this as I conclude. A number of years ago, I read a story that helped me understand and comprehend this whole message that is offered to every one of us today. It's a story about President Andrew Jackson. President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for a man who was condemned to die. But the man refused. And that threw the government into a few days of turmoil. In fact, it was the prison authorities and the Attorney General of the United States and lawyers and began to go and talk to this man. They tried to convince him to receive this pardon from President Andrew Jackson, but he would not. They tried to explain to him not only that he will receive life, that his life will be retrieved, but if he doesn't accept it, he is insulting the President of the United States. And the man continued to refuse. Finally, the Attorney General consulted with the Supreme Court of the United States on whether they had any legal authority to force the man to accept this pardon. And the Supreme Court ruled that a pardon was merely, and I'm reading here, a pardon was merely a printed statement until the man accepts it. End of quote. If the man rejects the pardon, he'll be condemned to death. And my beloved friend, let me tell you something. God is an all-welcoming God. He is welcoming you. But only when you accept his pardon, only when you accept his willingness to forgive you, only when you're willing to accept his invitation, will you experience salvation and eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever, whomsoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life.